Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this week is podcast number 52. This week is a pleasurable experience for me because I get to interview a great friend of mine from the Center for Integrative Medicine, my fellow classmate, Dr. Jacqueline Paykel. Who is Dr. Paykel and why are we talking to her? Well, she is somewhat of a trailblazer in the world of the Veterans Administration. As a naval specialist herself, she tackled the entire experience of what we learned in Arizona, integrative medicine, the whole person experience, packaged it and brought it to the Veterans Administration system and began to help implement this incredible experience. She is an MD and an MBA and is a chief of the whole health service at the James A. Haley Veterans Administration in Tampa, Florida. Dr. Paykel leads the first of its kind VA whole health service within the United States, where they develop and implement novel patient-centered clinical and well-being services for patients and employees alike. As a U.S. Naval veteran, Dr. Paykel has mentored and consulted with VA medical centers across the entire country on implementing this process of whole health care. She leads the development and national spread of Thrive, a virtual whole health healing program. She is dual boarded in OBGYN and integrative medicine. She holds an MBA and is certified in the health and wellness coaching. She is, among all things, an entrepreneur, an author, a researcher, a speaker, and a onion peeler of that which is better for all of us. She also says that she's an amateur artist, but most of all, I know her as a phenomenal human, an amazing physician, clinician, and teacher, a mother of three, and a grandmother of five now. This conversation is fabulous because we get into the discussion of why she chose the path she chose, how she helped implement an amazing way of taking care of patients that is dramatically, in my mind, better than anything that had come previously. And she leaves behind in this area of veterans medicine a system where people are treated as a person, and it is all about what they want out of their lives. These are amazing Americans who gave of themselves to serve our country and, in principle, all of us, so that we can live the lives that we choose to live in health, prosperity, but above all, with safety. So I can't think of a better person to help give those that serve for us the best opportunity for the best health care and specifically as a whole person. So with that as the beginning to this discussion, let me introduce you to Dr. Jacqueline Paykel, my good friend. Well, hello, Jackie. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I know you're down in sunny Florida and soon as we were just talking offline, be potentially heading up to the back home stand of Wisconsin. So how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? As you can tell by my whiteboard behind me, I'm a happy camper. I am uh, <laughs> spend, spending a ton of time trying to figure out the anthropologic reasons why we're getting sick and how to help people unwind them. So as you know, the podcast is about women and children. So I am so excited to talk to you, one of the specialists in the space of everything related to the whole person, specifically for me, women and children, but I know you're at the VA. So let's talk about what happened over your career since I left you and where you've gone, what you've done and where you're going, because it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And Chris, it's so great to be back together with you and chatting. Um, we definitely know how to talk, so um, <laughs> we'll take care of that today. But um, so it's it's interesting. So integrative medicine opened up such a wide audience um, and so many needs that were expressed um, on an ongoing basis by all of our instructors, including Andrew Weil through the fellowship uh, process. But um, Really, I really saw a need as far as women's health is concerned in the integrative world. And women, as we know, are very likely or the, are most likely to pick up these thought processes as far as integrative medicine and move those forward. I think that we're seeing a, an evolution of this in the um, in the world in general, but definitely in the medical systems within the United States. Um, but being in the VA has been a very um, 
interesting process. So let me just roll back in time a little bit. And after the um, fellowship, I found myself in um, private practice and then I went into academic practice and still was a little bit before my time um, in that arena, but um, participated in care for women um, from uh, an entire uh, practice, a private practice, uh, if you will, uh, OBGYN, but then also focused on sexual health and incontinence and pelvic pain in women. And uh, that was all from an integrative perspective. So um, moving forward, um, I was asked to come down to the VA in Tampa. And I have a background in the military. I was, I'm a vet, um, was in the Navy for five years and really found myself going home when I went to the VA and um, started helping women there. But when I got here, so I came from suburbia in Wisconsin. When I came to Florida, um, I was told that these women um, were definitely, many of them, um, healthcare refugees. And they were so disempowered. I came down on a split appointment, 40% specialty gynecology. And because of my integrative medicine background, did primary care for 60%. And I just grow to understand that maybe they're not that different from the people that I was seeing in a very affluent area of Wisconsin. Maybe this is really about the soul. Maybe this is about the spirit that we have lost our way. And, um, you know, when we went through our fellowship, we talked about that not once, but many times we talked about how the spirit of humanity is wanting. And uh, we need to feel like we are part of something larger than ourselves, um, but still feel like we have a sense of ourselves. And so, I really felt that these women were missing both. And so at that time, I did so when you When you say healthcare refugee, do you say, say that in the context of they're not where they need to be as far as a healthcare home? So they're floating out in this refugeal space or define that for me a little bit. And then I also want to let everybody know for context you and I did the fellowship in Arizona from 06 to 08. So we were way early yeah. in the process of, of this being mainstream. I know when I came back to pediatrics here in my private practice, everyone was like, what are you doing? So just for the audience to get a context of the, the headwinds of what you and I were going after versus now where it's commonplace. So define define that healthcare refugee and then continue the story. So a healthcare refugee is really somebody who doesn't have access to um, healthcare otherwise, right? And so um, most people don't know that the majority of veterans are not eligible for care in the VA. Uh, so you have to have a service connection uh, as, as far as an injury is concerned, uh, whether psychological, moral, or physical or otherwise, um, or you have to, um, have served at least 20 years or medically retired. So you have to re either retire or you have to be injured to receive care in the VA. And so, um, but then there's the, another classification of patients who um, are indigent. And so then they come to the VA because they don't have any access to healthcare otherwise, and they qualify based upon need. Okay. And they were former military. And they were former military. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, because I, I didn't know any of that stuff. Okay, yeah. all right. All right, so continue the story. So um, so once I came down, I, I, I really struggled because I uh, am an empath, as many of us are in the integrative um, you know, spectrum. And I really like to focus on the nitty gritty of the, um, um, on the cellular responses because I think it takes me a little bit away from the human response. Um, so I really like to get into the science of it all, but this really was um, a, a awakening. Um, so I spent some time with Women Veteran Program Manager, which is an individual that is assigned to basically orchestrate um, women's healthcare along with the medical director. And so I spent some time with her and said, you know, we've got to develop something. And I kept recalling you know, what we were, um, how we were participating and what we were learning in our fellowship. And so I developed a 12-week uh, uh, curriculum 
for women to participate in that really started with the basics of health and then moved us towards the more uh, internal soul mediated um, aspects of who we are. Uh, so we started with sleep and nutrition and and uh, mental health and happiness. But then we talk about in a group medical appointment, we talk about financial health and um, spirituality and creativity and many other different topics. Um, and they would do this as a cohort. And so these shared medical appointments, as we know, are so nurturing for relationships amongst patients, but then also amongst um, the facilitators, which was multidisciplinary. And then the facilitators with the patients and then everybody starts to see each other as a human being that has needs that need to be answered, not just physical needs, but human needs. And so um, that's that's been a, a program that has evolved and grown and we've trained over um, 70 sites in um, in Veterans Thrive, but we also now have it for employees and we're focusing on burnout reduction and job crafting and uh, people really getting to come back to themselves of who they are and how they uh, came to enter a, a medical field. Um, and we're also doing it with leadership and uh, uh, and caregivers who are the most burned out of all of us because they, in general, don't get health care, don't get the services that they need, but are expected to care for somebody else. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And 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 to your point, that espouses the exact ethos of the Center for Integrative Medicine, yeah. because you are looking at the whole person, not just the disease process that they may or may not even be aware of or are coming in for, yeah. which most of the time has an underlying ideology within the psyche or the soul, as you're stating. I mean, I could just think about a child I just saw who looks like it may be an autoimmune disease, Sjogren's. And oh, by the way, right before that happened, within the past year, her mother underwent a significant healthcare crisis. And so there's no mistake in the reality that we develop diseases around the time of massive stress, whether it's financial, physical, mental. And I think to your point, the medical system as it exists today in most enclaves is reductionist and treatment focused on the problem that we identify as X disease not even looking upstream at what really is going on. I think about even the simple answer of somebody who has type one diabetes 15 years before their diagnosis, they probably already have islet cell antibodies that are floating around the system, but you don't have diabetes. So nobody cares. Well, frankly, if we got in there, could we prevent mm -hmm. the disease onset? And so to me, that's the logical extension of what you're doing and, and how you're attacking the process within a system that is, historically, at least when I was in medical school, notoriously well-meaning, but often derided as dysfunctional. And, and I think that has changed a lot over the years. And people like you, I think, have made a massive difference in this process. So talk a little bit more about what actually it would look like for a person coming into this process in the system. Like what it would a, a single visit or a group visit look like for that person? So whole health is really a transformative process that's going on throughout the throughout the VA. And the um, Undersecretary of Health in the VA, it's one of their six priorities. And so we can look at whole health very similar to integrative medicine. Whole health is a transformative process in that we are not, our primary question is not what's the matter with you, but what matters to you. Because as you and I know, and many others know, that people, their motivation is actually driven for health and well-being and to better their lives if you can tap into something that is meaningful to them. And so, um, so from the clinical perspective, we're really trying to integrate that throughout all of our clinical processes. But besides that, there's three different components to whole health. So we have the clinical component, but the actual initial process is called the pathway. And that's where we get veterans or employees, et cetera, in, engaged in starting to ask these questions of themselves. What really matters to you? What do you want your health for? Um, what does your best life look like when you are healthy? And where do you want to start? And what are some smart goals that we can help you develop? And so, um, so the pathway, and then they're introduced to peers, and we also know that um, from a vast amount of literature now that veterans really respond well to veterans as physicians respond well to physicians, 
as, you know, we respond to people who have walked in our shoes previously, especially as far as a stress, uh, stressful time is concerned in our lives. And so, um, so we put them together with peers and then they're aligned with a health coach. And that health coach is not there to help them make um, medical decisions. They're there to remind them of themselves, to walk alongside them. And then um, the second, I'm sorry, the third component that we've already talked about the clinical, but the well-being component where we are actually equipping them um, with multiple modalities on how they can learn to uh, deactivate their sympathetic nervous system to live a healthier life. We have eight required modalities that are spreading throughout the country as far as those that have evidence behind them, um, including meditation, yoga, um, tai Chi, guided imagery, etc. And so all of the uh, facilities are expected to have that um, available sooner rather than later. Um, but I was the chief, I'm the chief of the whole health service in Tampa, and we were one of the 18 flagship sites to expand this. Yeah, incredible. And and when you think about the reality of what that means, you're actually, again, going into the system from a, a multimodal perspective saying, hey, this is what we want to achieve as opposed to what's been going on in the system before. So you're rewriting the script of medicine. And again, I think that was a charge given to us when we left integrative medicine mm -hmm. at, in the University Center for Arizona. So knowing the three pillars of that, what would it look like for a patient who walked in? And, and again, this would have been radically different when you first started this for a patient to walk in and they're used to being dismissed with, and maybe dismissed, not the right word, but being met with, here's what you have. Here's the prescription or the answer. Have a nice day. Now they roll in and you have flipped the whole script. What would that look like now going back to circle whenever, when it started and what it looks like yeah. now? So um, when it started, we did a whole lot of education and we're still doing a lot of education about this is what whole health is. And these are the opportunities that are available to you. Initially, it really looked like you come in for an orientation and then we have these eight different modalities that you can plug into. But now it's very different because now the entire facility is really in tune with what really matters to you and where is it found in the chart and, and how do you evolve and how is your health, you know, how are you responsive as far as that your health is concerned and your health goals and how can we can contribute to that? So it really has evolved over the last six years um, to really to be a mindset more than it is um, a number of different prescriptions that we can give uh, to an individual. But I have to say that the VA also has, um, so I'm a senior innovation fellow this fiscal year for the VA, and that was because of the expansion, the development and the expansion of Thrive. But they are a very innovative, intense um group of medical systems um, that are each one of our facilities is, uh, you know, so in the VA, we say when you've seen one VA, you've seen one VA, and that's indeed the case. But we have uh, the amount of innovation that goes on within the VA is extraordinary. So somebody who is forward thinking, who has this um, desire for evolution, the betterment of humanity, but also wants, you know, um, I remember walking into that room when there were 76 of us integrative providers in that space. And the energy in that room was amazing. And in the intention in that space was, and, you know, and then our, um, our faculty members were there too, and they were just contributing to that energy level. And those people are right for the VA. And uh, so uh, one of the other um, projects that I have going on right now in the VA is called the Integrative Health Interest Forum, where we have the integrative providers from around the country once a month, we have a um, discussion. And so we have keynote speakers that come in and we have a presentation and uh, a discussion about that. I, um, just a couple, uh, just last week, I gave a talk on eco-fertility, which is about taking into consideration the uh, ecological stresses on the human being and our environment in general and how that impacts our fertility and what we, we can do about that. But um, so we've we've just come leaps and bounds since uh, six years ago, for sure. 
Yeah, and I, I think to your point, I was actually sort of interesting how you were saying that because I one of the comments I was going to make is that the VA now has an ethos that's an energetic shift. When you have the entire organization thinking the same way mm-hmm. as like almost like a a swarm of birds, they're going to follow each other based on whatever it's going. If the whole ethos now is around the whole person, so each person that sees another person within that network now believes mentally but even more importantly energetically when you receive that person walking in the room you feel different about them to your point mm-hmm. where 70 75 of us in that in that room or over our week-long experiences that energy was so pro learning pro togetherness pro this is a better way everything was aligned and so I think to your point, you're aligning it such that every person that walks in there who's not aligned, it doesn't take long for the magnetic pull to be strong enough to make that energy for that person flow northward or whatever directional you know, input you have. And in this case, that directional input is you matter and we're here to yeah. help you achieve your best self. However that looks, we're not dictating the growth pattern you're going to take. We want to be the... As I'm reading a book I love right now, the par- the the Carpenter and the Gardener by Alison uh, Gopnik, and one of the things she talks about in there, which I find super fascinating, which sort of fits this thing you're discussing, is that the gardener doesn't really worry the direction that plant is going to grow. The gardener worries: is the soil nourishing? Is there access to sunlight? Is there an ability for a water source to be placed either artificially or from the sun? And are we giving it space? And and that last one, you know me, going back to 2006, I was a linear thinking allopath. And <laughs> yep. <laughs> for me, for for me, space meant there was a couple feet between you and I because I like to be around people talking. Space wasn't me holding energetic space or doing anything <laughs> energetically for anybody. And and now as a slightly awakened, uh, partially empathic human, I'm starting to understand all these things. But when you think about that reality, that's what the gardener is offering. And mm. as as parents, I'm trying to help people as being a pediatrician understand that we need more gardeners, not as many carpenters. Carpenters are all about guiding the direction of the answer. Like if your child is X, like for example, I'm a soccer player, skier and runner. Well, by definition, my kids saw soccer playing, skiing and running. Could my children have chosen other sports? Absolutely. Would I have allowed that? Absolutely. But by default, it's almost like the ethos is going to be they'll follow that pattern because that's the energy you're putting into the space. And that's not a net negative. I'm more talking about that whole growth parameter of giving the gardener. And I think you've done that with this organizational structure you are providing a garden and your group are the gardeners and you're allowing all these wonderful patients to come in and be the plants yes and i think one thing that you and i know is so important is the true belief the faith that these individuals or these plants will grow And they know which way to grow as long as they know where the sun is and that they do have clean water and that they do have rich soil and that they're provided information. And this is one thing that I have stressed over and again, we have got to reunite the head and the heart and the body. And we have got to do this through information that is scientifically tested. We can do that in this day and age. And when we started in integrative medicine, we were just in, you know, we were just coming into that evidence-based protocol for all of these integrative uh, modalities. But it's very important that they know that what we are doing is is sound and evidence um, uh, supports it. But the beautiful thing about Thrive is that we have kept metrics because of my education that I saw that was very important from the very beginning. And we know the people that participate in Thrive and complete Thrive, um, it's a 14-week shared medical appointment. This is specifically for veterans. Um, we have a 30% reduction in depression, 30% reduction in anxiety, 
Um, life satisfaction improvement, 25%. We have neural uh, flexibility or psychological flexibility that improves um, by 13%. And we have a reduction in pain, which is very important for many of us that live with chronic pain. So we know that if you put the soil beneath these individuals, that they will choose growth. Yep. And that's really what this is about, is choosing that no matter how much time you have in, uh, left in your life, growing is um, is an optimal experience that we all desire. Yeah. And I think, to your point, the anthropologic view is that until you are dead, the system is very clearly always going to try and write itself. Yes. Whether whether that system is a biological system, a mental system, I don't think that really matters. And frankly, I think to the point integrative medicine, the name integrative should probably start to fall away mm -hmm. because it is no longer should be differentiated from medicine. It is mm -hmm. clear now that this is the way medicine should be. And maybe we should start calling old medicine, allopathic medicine and everything else just medicine. Uh, I don't know, just throwing that out there. But, you know, I, I, I really start to think that this is the the pathway that we all should be on you know and so what does it look like from the perspective of you know you have the energy piece your team is pro the gardening the mm -hmm. garden all the things that we're sort of speaking to what are the main modalities i know you and i you know when we went through the fellowship i clearly drank from a fire hose on nutrition drank from a fire hose on, uh, let's say, mind-body connections, drank from a fire hose on herbals. A lot of the things we just weren't educated on at all in yeah. our heavy pharmacologic allopathic training. What are you bringing to these folks that they're not seeing historically? In, in order of importance, let's say. In order of importance, like, well, and I again, think... that importance is dictated by you, Jackie Paykel, not so much anything else. I, I sort of look at this as like, you know, and again, let me just iterate on this piece just for a second. I used to think that the, probably the number one input for human health was nutrition. Now I am less convinced of that and more convinced that mental health is by far the most important thing. And by that, I mean, ability to handle stress and ability to move through stress appropriately. So when you put it like that, I think that I believe that nutrition is um, so vital to every aspect of who we are. However, our ability to remain or enter into mindfulness is even more important. To be in the moment, to release our judgment of what has happened or uh, the fear of what will happen. Because I think that what we're really seeing is an epidemic of fear, an epidemic of the lack of trust of whomever or whatever system we are, you know, focused upon. And to remain mindful, to remain within oneself, and then to understand that um, that our thoughts and our feelings in relation to an event that's happening around us is normal, that we are normal, that our experiences have been experienced before by many. And if we can just remember that, we can have some... Uh, self-compassion and allow ourselves then a moment to understand in this situation and in my life, what is important to me. And if I can remember what is important, even if it takes me a split second or, you know, five or 10 minutes, like when our aunties or our grandmothers would say, you know, step back and count to 10 before you answer that question, they're just saying, get into your skin, be mindful. And then when you can make a decision that's based upon what you truly value and what you believe in to be your truth, and it becomes easier, it's not easy to begin with, but when we train people to do that, to understand what their truth is, and then to create or to um, adopt behaviors to move them in the, into the uh, aspect of their lives that's very important to them, that is the game changer. That is when people stand up and literally, I've seen this so many times now in our uh, shared medical appointments, 
they stand up from their seat. We're all around a table, we're sitting, we're chatting, or we're online, we're sitting, we're chatting. And then they stand up and they step into their lives and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to do this instead, because this is what's important to me. And so when they do that, and you reinforce that behavior in front of other people, and they have peers that are supporting them and have gained, they've gained friendships outside of the shared medical appointments, of course, by through 14 weeks of growth and, and maturation. And so I think that um, I'm getting carried away with myself because it's just the the dynamism that is experienced in a healthcare setting like that. It doesn't it doesn't just nurture those patients. It nurtures those clinicians. And talk about burnout. We have had this mechanistic uh, thought process that has been just a profound. Um, I guess in some ways I want to say it's anti-humanitarian. Because we have taken the soul out of medicine and doctors and nurses and psychologists and physical therapists and et cetera, come into this world because we want the betterment of humanity. And it's the global humanity, but it's each individual person too. And we, you know, so long ago when we started that fellowship, so long ago, and 17 years ago that we started it. And I just think about um, Dr. Weil coming in and saying, the find it, fix it model doesn't work here. It works in the emergency department, but it doesn't work for life. And what we are looking for is for you to do a swan dive into the grave, to be healthy for as long as you can. And then all of a sudden you get to the point where you're just taking that last swan dive. And what a beautiful thought process. And I really believe that we have, I have seen that in the VA, in the medicine that I do uh, here in, in this space, um, that people are allowed to do that swan dive. Oh, I love that. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. I know Andy, back in the day when Dr. Weil said that to us all, you know, it was, again, it's something we hadn't really thought of. Right. We just think of a trajectory of human health and living and it is what it is. But it was very clear that there was no swan dive. It was just this precipitous decline over time for a lot of folks based on the inability to change the upstream targets that are causing their dysfunction in the first place. But back to sort of what you're saying, humans are tribal creatures. Always have been, because we are survivors in tribes. It's very hard to be alone historically, and our, our DNA is baked into knowledge that being alone is death. And that whether that's as a woman, as a man, as a, it doesn't really matter. And so when you are now changing, because again, current society, the tribalism tends to be pretty dynamic in the wrong direction. There is way too much in the blog of Twitter, LinkedIn you know, uh, Facebook sphere that is trolling negativity. Everybody is out there saying things that are, I, you know, really just stay off of it. And so the ethos out there right now is very tribal against each other. And to what you're doing is now saying, no, there is a tribal positivity that can be established within like-minded people, which is always what a tribe is. It's like-minded people but we're adding to this ability to have a mindful ethos around, I don't care how you see the world for yourself other than you see positivity and you know you are supported with love, nurturing, and again, the garden. And that's no small lift for a massive organization like the VA, Jax. That is, <laughs> you know. I think about what it takes over 17 years to do what you did and and kudos to you again for taking something as daunting as as changing a mindset and putting it into an institution that is historically pretty rigid. Now clearly that's no longer the case from what I'm hearing which is just fascinating. You know, I I think now the organizations that I deal with the hospital systems are quite rigid. And there's not much opportunity that I can see for what you're doing in a way that I would like to see, I know in our clinic here, fully private, we could do all of this. And it's a beautiful thing. We have our own clinically integrated network. Now we're hiring our own social workers, our own care managers, our own therapists to do that work that you're speaking to in the clinic, because that's where the rubber meets the road, not some alternative location offsite, whether they can get to it or not. So I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of lost for words past that because it's, it's, it's quite remarkable 
what you have built there and what's the legacy you're leaving behind for all of these folks to have this energetic experience now that is no longer reductionistic medicine, medicine and sort of sterile and cold, frankly. And yeah. And so acting as the flagship um, director and bringing it from scratch up, but remember that this was at uh, the national level too. And Tracy Guidette was leading this charge when right. I came on board and she, um, spent time building the fellowship that we went through. And so this mindset was was there and it was bubbling up. Um, right. And I was able to um, capitalize on that and really understand that uh, that's, you know, you can't do that work unless you're super passionate about it because it is a heavy lift. And um, my poor colleagues who just had to listen to me go on and on and on and on every single day about how this was going to change um, our lives. and. And let's talk for a second about not just the patients and the upstream, but what is even further upstream is all of the people that decide to um, make this um, livelihood um, feeding and um, nurturing humanity as part of who they are. And then they come into the system that completely demoralizes them and takes that energy away. And um, so over the last year and a half, almost two years now, I've spent my time as the chief well-being officer too locally so that we can identify systematic or systemic problems that contribute to the burnout of the employees at large. And so it's not just about understanding that we need to give this information and support our patients with this information, but starting, we have to start with the people our, you know, we talk about external and internal customers, et cetera, that business speak. We are all human beings and we need to be treated like human beings. And so now our slogan in our facility is, tell me, what do you want your health for? So Chris, what do you want your health for? What are you looking forward to in your life? You're asking me there seriously right now? I am asking you seriously. It's pretty easy. I mean, I don't even have to think about that one. I have a singular focus primarily. There's two, one selfish, one's non-selfish. The main one is I want to see my children grow up. I want to have grandkids. I want to spend the rest of my life with my wife and enjoying that community. Now, the, the broader context of that would be hoping that my friends don't move away. We continue to do all the things that we love to do. And then the third piece would be, I'd love to have my body still in shape so I can do helicopter skiing and other stupid stuff that I would prefer to continue to abuse myself with. But I don't know if that one's going to last. So I'll, I'll rest on one and two. How's that sound? Well, I think that those are beautiful <laughs> answers. But isn't that amazing that you come in with that story and somebody says, we want to help you get there. Or yeah. we want you to help, to help to help you stay there. So this is what you can do for as long as you possibly can. And and it's just so much more energetic for everybody in the room to feed on that passion. And so it's introducing people to their passion again, really allowing them. And here's one thing that we haven't talked about that I think if we're talking about what's important, mindfulness, certainly nutrition, that's very pragmatic, but creativity. And focusing on the creativity because creativity will bring us closer to that universal truth of ourselves and of each other. It will allow us to express ourselves, to express beauty, to bring those positive things into our lives and into each other's lives. And so finding that source of creativity, whether it's, what did you say, helicopter skiing or um, or it's creating a CD of music that you give to your colleagues upon graduation who still <laughs> might have that in their library. <laughs> but, such uh, a, you know, but what can you, uh, creativity, just having it as a part of yourself. And I can tell you that Thrive, whether it exists outside or inside the VA or what, whatever happens to it, it was an expression of who I am. And that is why it has been, you can't, pretend that energy is infused into something it's right. there because it comes it doesn't come from you it comes through you and yep. when it comes through you it has an energy that's just it's through uh full of intuition and inspiration and it's just of another world and that's what people need to experience that wow that energy that is coming from another world but our world 
Yeah, and I think it's infectious too, Jax. I think you know, yeah. I I remember from our earliest times meeting, you 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 carry that infectiousness about your desire and energy. And to your point earlier, it, this never happens in a in a vacuum. You are part of a massive team of people who are aligned again in that tribal belief. And the same reality to my world is that. I come with ideas or whatever, but it's the team that makes it work, makes it fly, makes it come to life with all the energy and the beauty. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I want to applaud all the people around you that have helped you build this gorgeous thing. And I know even, you know, David Rakel, another guy in the VA system. I mean, there's so many people who are trying to build a better life for the rest of us within the framework of what's allowed within whether it's a governmental body, a non-governmental body, whatever, it's irrelevant to the reality that with passion and desire, change. And change is the key to me to anything in life because stagnation never leads to anything good. I mean, name a a biodynamic ecosystem that does well in stagnation, I'll show you nothing. (laughs) I don't even think a desert is a stagnant environment of any kind. So to me, that's sort sort of critical. So unless you want to discuss any further part of that story, I'd like to shift gears a, a little bit. Sure, let's shift. So you've been practicing medicine now since the late 90s. I think you finished, what, fell, residency in 2000? Yeah, mm-hmm. 2001. So <laughs> as a mother of three, a grandmother of five, in the year 2023, with all that you have accumulated knowledge-wise, and I've asked many different guests this topic over the last couple of years, what would your prescription be for a daughter who, or granddaughter who would be interested in getting pregnant and carrying a child to term and making a beautiful new human on this planet? How would you go about counseling them to be the best, i.e., what garden would you help them build? Because I know as a grandmother now, you would be there helping build the garden. I know that's obvious. So you'd be there right on the side, tilling, filling, whatever. But what would that look like in concrete terms? And I'm not saying doses of supplements or anything. No, I'm talking on on broader brushstrokes. There's two things I can think of right off the bat. Number one would be a kitchen table. A kitchen table so that your loved ones can sit around it and you can have women or uh, other females from all ages sitting there with you. And in this day, gender identity aside, that table is open to whomever can feed that positive sort of wisdom that you can teach as well along the way of what you're going through. We have forgotten the kitchen table. And kitchen table wisdom is so very important, knowing what your family members have gone through or your the people, your, your tribe, if you will, right? To be there to share knowledge, but also to support each other, to support the wins, to support the losses. Loneliness is ubiquitous, ubiquitous in our society now. And um, we really need to reinstate the kitchen table, but not during any time than those childbearing years is it more important to have the support of so many and to have the wisdom of the prior generations and to have the energy of the younger generations to see what works, to see what doesn't um, and to share your hope and aspirations with. So that's, I think that the kitchen table is very important. Another thing that I want to, and as an obstetrician um, who is steeped in the science still, and having just given this eco-fertility talk, please remember that your age counts. Your age counts when you have children. And that it's been, been very passe over the last 10 years to warn women that they're getting too old to procreate. But I want you to know that your children will have an advantage if you get pregnant earlier in life. And they'll have an advantage because of your energy level, but they'll also have an advantage because of the genome that you're going to be passing on to them potentially. The longer that you are alive, the epigenetics around all of this, we don't have to discuss today, but I truly believe that we have forgotten that 
there is a there is a season uh, for having children. And although many of us are waiting, the average age for a woman to have her first baby in the United States now is 30. And two generations ago it was 10 years younger than that. It makes a difference. Um, it definitely makes a difference. And then I think in addition to that, And I'm going to be politically incorrect right now, but vaccinations are important. Um, and um, to protect yourselves and to protect your children, we have just gone through the COVID pandemic. And I just wanna express that it's been just terrifying for, um, for everybody, but for women who are in their childbearing years. And then also I had, um, I had at least one grandson that was born during the pandemic or just after the pandemic. No, born during the pandemic. And it was, um, it's terrifying. Nobody could go to her prenatal appointments with her. Her husband, my son, couldn't even go into the room to see the baby's ultrasound. Or And then when the baby was delivered, it was like you were completely isolated. That was to keep us safe. But to remember that it's really important to protect ourselves and to protect our offspring from infectious diseases if we possibly can. So I know that that might not be along the lines of a purist as far as integrative medicine is concerned, but um, I think we've learned a lot with COVID and um, we have to really um, start to think about not only ourselves, but the public at large when we make those recommendations. So again, the kitchen table to consider your youth um, or to have babies when you're younger. And I'm not saying at 18, um, I am saying, you know, when you're uh, stable in a stable relationship would be best um, or in a stable relationship with yourself if you decide to single parent, but um, but not waiting until you are in your mid forties to begin the process of deciding to have a family because you may be very, very disappointed at, at that point. Yeah, I don't think any of those statements are incongruent with truth and politically incorrect or correct you and i again come from a desire to see the anthropologic background to whatever's happening there is zero evidence that advanced maternal age is a benefit okay <laughs> right. so i look at it from that perspective so if you say there is a possible neg negative effect of advanced maternal age. That is truth that needs to be discussed. It is not judgmental. It is not telling somebody they cannot, but it is saying, hey, if you have the opportunity to have a child at 25 versus 30 or 30 versus 35, here's the reason why. Whatever yeah. you choose, we're good with it. But it's sort of like the obesity epidemic or what now I'm hearing people say, those people with extra weight. I don't care what you call it. It is unconscionable to me to not give somebody the data that if you are a woman and you are overweight, your risk of having an autistic child is 2x. If you are overweight and diabetic, your risk of having an autistic child is 4x. That's not 4%, not 40%. That's 400%. These are not small statistics that should be hidden because of social paradigms stating we shouldn't offend somebody. No, truth is not offensive. Truth is truth. Right. Right. And so to your second or your third point, vaccination, it is clear to me and you that vaccines save millions of lives. Yes. Regardless of what the pandemic has made people believe, I have yet to see any concrete evidence that vaccines on a population level are problematical. Now, I just interviewed Marcel Nold, who's a neonatal immunologist from Australia, and he had some very intriguing data on premature babies and Hep B inducing pulmonary hypertension. That's legit. I'd love to see that chase down some more. I think that if we were a really good medical system right now, we would be subtesting populations genomically and with study, like to your point, having data to say, hey, these are risks for these people. So this group should not get X. So for example, the COVID vaccine, it was very clear that if you are a young man between the age of 13 and 40, your risk of a myocardial issue, itis, inflammation was significantly higher vaccine versus natural disease. This is simple. We don't give vaccine to those people. Now, the caveat there would have been if the vaccine showed transmission decrease, then you say, okay, we can take it on the chin in those years to protect right. grandpa, granddad. But there was none of that. So right. 
the science, and again, I, I have spoken to this way too often, but I think what the federal government, the CDC, NAID, all of them did during the pandemic to our credibility was unfortunately bad. And we're going to spend a lot of time trying to catch up in the vaccine world because of COVID vaccine yes. untruths, untruths, let's say, even now the stuff that they're saying is it, it, just maddening. You know, it's very clear what the vaccine does and how beneficial it is, but yet that truth doesn't seem to be, but that's an aside. So I think, you know, Jax, to your point, the table piece sitting around the kitchen table makes a ton of sense, uh, you know, and then advanced maternal age makes a ton of sense. Vaccination makes a ton of sense. And then I think we're going to learn a lot more as time goes on now that the hardcore science research is coming, that I think there's going to be a big play here for what nutrition is entering the body Oh yeah. to then, to then drive what diseases yeah. we're seeing. I mean, you and I spoke offline about Rick Johnson's work, and I think there's a lot coming. And although me personally, I believe that medicine in the halls of hospitals is dysfunctional. I mm. think the system is geared towards money and not patients, which I'm very despondent about. But the science of medicine, man, the bench research is as good as it's ever been. And I, I like you, I'm a nerd for this stuff. And mm. I have never been so excited for bench research in my life, honestly. And part of that is this podcast and being able to talk to yourself and others that are really doing the heavy lifting on proving what is working as opposed to just anecdotal story. There is a place for anecdotal story, to your point, the kitchen table with grandma, and there's a lot of stuff to be said yeah. there. But boy, we need data and data is yeah. forthcoming. And I think that's sort of the future, right? And hopefully AI becomes a, be a beneficial part of that and not a net negative. We'll see. I'm, I'm still waiting, but hmm. some I'm interest there. I'm about AI. As long as we have um, upfront, uh, we're upfront and honest about the potentials of the dangers of it and that we have watchdogs that are able to uh, keep an eye on that. Um, and so we're going through that in the VA right now too. And they have been, the AI um, gurus have been very receptive to having um, a separate or a, a combined ent um, uh, effort as far as uh, addressing the human factor of AI and the, the decisions and choices we are making. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to be said there. I met a gentleman in a volcano of all places in Iceland a couple of weeks ago, which is sort of cool. comical, who happened to be best friends with a classmate of mine at Emory. It was the smallest world on the planet. There were there were 16 people in the volcano, one of which happened to be the best friend of a guy I went to med school with. Like, what is that? But, oh, by the way, he happens to be a neuroradiologist. And, oh, by the way, he happens to say to me in a conversation about AI that it's really not working well in their field yet and that when they're getting the results, they're often wrong. Now, that is to say, it was a long way to go, but mm -hmm. it was interesting. I thought that would have been the field that AI would have been brilliant at yeah. right out of the get-go. Maybe not. A lot to learn, but open-minded, open-hearted, but with regulation and people really caring about, again, what is important here, the patient. Nothing else but the patient, yeah. the person yeah. or the group of people that are trying to build their best lives to the point of what you're doing. Yeah. All right, Jax, here we go. Last question. Okay. You're Every every guest gets this question, and you may or may not know this answer, but you're going to have an answer. You are going to get a golden ticket, whether you are in Florida or it's when you're in Wisconsin, you get to hand this ticket in in D.C. to the president or to Congress, and they will act upon it. What would you ask for? And while you're thinking, I will tell you what I ask, and every guest knows this, uh, and eventually that I am a school food hater. I think the school food that we feed our children right now is abominable. It should be abolished and we should have kitchens, kitchens with chefs in every school feeding kids nourishing macro and micronutrient full food and not the highly processed big ag garbage. What would you want? Prenatal care for every woman in the United States and the opportunity based upon research, the opportunity to deliver at home, in birthing centers or in hospitals, and that the system cooperates to allow women to deliver where it's safest and best for them and for their children. Woo! You are going to buck another massive mountain there. I look <laughs> forward. 
I look forward to Jackie Paykel 2.0, 3.0, wherever that one's going to be. I'll be a cheerleader for you. And uh, in a safe environment, I think that makes all the sense in the world. There was just a study published the other day about vaginal microbial transplants, oh. which I am a massive proponent of. Yes. I do not understand why. I was giving a lecture in February and an obstetrician stood up and said it's dangerous. And I almost blew my top I was like, so what happens to all the other people in nature who deliver vaginally? What's dangerous, right? It's like the the, the medical system is just madness at times. But that being said, I hope and pray that that does come to pass someday. Because again, going back to anthropology, thousands of years of women delivering babies at home had a small risk, but that the major benefit was there. And we really need to get back to that possibility. Now, that being said, I think society at large, in my opinion, is higher risk than it's ever been in history because of our sure. metabolics. So we'll have to take that into account. But right. all that being taken into account, I think you have some veritas to that, that choice and desire. And I would love to see it come to pass. All right, Jax, you get the last word. It's so lovely to see you and spend time with another human being that really is on this planet for the betterment of humanity. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hearing podcasts for the years to come, as far as you are concerned. This is uh, engaging and intriguing, and um, you're doing your best work. Thank you. I am happy, and I continue to love the ability to sit on a Zoom call, wherever the hell I am, and talk to people like you who are doing the work, doing, you're being the change, Jax. And I knew you would the day I met you. And it's just a joy to sit down and spread your love throughout the world and your energy. So amen to you and have a great day. You too. Thanks. What an amazing person doing amazing things for all the veterans of this country leading with her energy, her passion, her desire to help everybody feel wanted, feel accepted, and ultimately feel like they are part of the story of their own lives, however that plays out, even with disease or dysfunction. That to me is the essence of the Andrew Weil integrative medicine ideology and why we spent two years studying how to make modern medicine work better for the patient, the person, the whole individual in front of us, the clinician, trying to help each individual person achieve their best selves. And I think when we got into the discussion of the gardener and the garden and the carpenter and what she has done, she is truly a master gardener. She has laid the foundation of the biggest garden for healthcare in this country, and that's the Veteran Administration Garden. And she has tended to it as any master gardener would by asking for the inputs to be nourishing, to have water, to have sunlight, to have access to growth, to do all the things that will allow a system that is that large, gargantuan, frankly, to achieve something that most people would not have imagined, the ability to change course and become whole person driven. That is not a small feat. It's an incredible task that she has done dutifully for all those who've served our country. It makes me so happy to share her story with everybody. And then the second piece is, I hope you share this with others to encourage them to take on tasks that seem daunting. And, but at the root of it has such passion and peace and happiness and joy and energy for the betterment of humanity. And what better time to do these things than now in this polarized world that we live in? Let's all of us take a page out of her book and try and f help our microcosmic area or even macro be a better garden. And let's be the tenders of that garden, however that is and however that looks, however big and however small. But ultimately, Here's a blueprint written and tended by Dr. Jax Paykel, as I call her, the amazing worker, entrepreneur, onion peeler, desirer, energy changer that she is. 
So not much more to say. All was said during the podcast, but ultimately for me, I'm grateful to have been able to share her wisdom, her story, and her joy, and hope others latch on to this ethos and move some small hill, some large mountain, something where there's stagnation in society that is holding people back from being their best selves, having a whole person experience, whatever that looks like. So as always, appreciate your time and effort. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it on Apple iTunes or drop me a line at newsletter at salisburypediatrics.com. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. Tell me what you believe. But as always, hug those kids. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This podcast does not constitute the formation of a provider-patient relationship. Have a fabulous day.